as you come now to time of the proclamation of God's Word. And this morning, we're beginning a new sermon series in the Old Testament through the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, as I've been studying Ecclesiastes, I have to say, it's, it just strikes me how God's Word is always so relevant to our current situation. Here is something that God, through His Spirit, had written through pen of Solomon thousands of years ago, and yet it still communicates amazing truth to us and how relevant it is to us in our current situation. And so I pray it'll be a blessing to you. I remember talking to Malcolm, I didn't see him here this morning, but uh, oh, from some months ago about Ecclesiastes, and he told me he was reading through it, and he said, you know, It just feels very depressing. (laughs) And I kind of chuckled and I said, yeah, it it can seem that way until you get to the end. Uh, But I I pray that the Lord will use it in your heart, that it will not be depressing, even though it has some incredibly difficult things that it talks about and says. uh, But it does point us to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, as all the Word of God does. So, Before we read his word, let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your truth that you give to us, that you have communicated to us your righteousness, your grace, your peace, so that we might walk not in ignorance and not in darkness, but in light. And as we walk in light, we might also know joy, joy that comes through knowing you. And so show us once again your goodness through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. God has these words for us. He says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around grows the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. The place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been, it will be done. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which is said, see, this is new in the ages before us? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. This is God's word. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it is one of those books of the Bible that I think people either really enjoy it as they read through it and study it, or they greatly struggle with it. Its words certainly can feel uh, enigmatic and harsh 
At times, it might even sound a little more worldly than spiritual. And yet, God in His wisdom has purposed that Ecclesiastes would be part of His revelation of Himself to us as His creation. Ecclesiastes is part of the Bible which we call wisdom literature, along with Proverbs and the book of Psalms, Song of Songs, and the book of Job. And it's called wisdom literature. And wisdom literature focuses mainly on how we live life for the glory and the enjoyment of God. And it uses often poetry, but also much uh, rhetoric such as rhetorical questions and at times even absurdity to reveal to us God's unchanging truth and sometimes that truth is blazingly obvious other times it it feels very hard to find and and buried under these words that can be difficult to discern Ecclesiastes though like the rest of the books of wisdom is not only practical for the, the ins and the outs and the ups and the downs and the twists and turns of daily life, but it, it grounds us in the spiritual and theological realities of what it means to be a person, an image bearer created by God in His image. And it shows us what our ultimate purpose and destiny as image bearers really is. You see, the author of Ecclesiastes, who was probably Solomon, per the subscription that we see there in verse 1, he reflects on life in this world and he gives us a brutally honest picture that we probably don't want to hear or think about, but we need to hear and think about. And when we're honest with ourselves, we find ourselves agreeing with him. He calls himself the preacher or the Kohelet, which is the Hebrew word. It's probably just a title to designate one who is able to communicate wisdom as he is king over Jerusalem, a leader of God's people. And what we find here is he isn't afraid to ask those hard questions that every person asks at some point in their life. What is the meaning of life itself? What is the point of evil in this world? Why does it exist in this world? And is there any real value to even living in this world? And sometimes the answers he gives are not the answers we would expect or even want to hear, but they are the ones we need to hear. Because they drive us to the only place where we do find order and reason and hope in this messed up and sinful world in which we live. And so he begins then with this rather shocking statement, which becomes like a a chorus or a motto in this entire book, as he says, vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Life has no meaning. He uses this word vanity often in Ecclesiastes 38 times. We'll see it often. It comes from the Hebrew word havel, which is translated in a variety of ways in the Bible. 
Uh, in the Old Testament, usually we see it appearing as vanity in English translations. It has a broad range of meaning, though. Literally, at its most basic, it means a breath or a vapor. And so you get the sense then of something that is short and elusive, something that is there for but a moment and then it quickly fades away like a wisp of smoke or the breath you see on a cold winter morning. But this word hevel or vanity can also speak of something that lacks substance. It has no value, no profit. It's meaningless. It's senseless. And it also communicates the idea of absurdity, of being pointless. And that means these opening lines that he communicates as he reflects on life, boy, are they dramatic and rather depressing. In fact, he speaks of vanity in this superlative. He says, vanity of vanities. In fact, he says it again, vanity, all is vanity, vanity of vanities. As he muses on life, his conclusion is life is short. It lasts but a moment like a breath. Life is elusive. It's always moving and shifting. Nothing stays the same. There's this lack of permanence that is there. And since it lacks permanence, and since nothing seems to last, does life even matter at all? Any work we do, any task we undertake, any, any passion that we pursue ultimately feels very futile in the end. Which is an absurdity. It doesn't make sense. And so that leads the preacher to ask this rhetorical question then that we see in verse 3. He says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? How many of us have said that in the middle of the week? (laughs) What does man gain by all his toil? And by toil, he doesn't mean mere physical labor, though it certainly includes that. Toil is everything. Everything that we do on a daily basis as we live life. In this world, it is our work, it is our study, it is the things that we do for pleasure, the things that we do to build and grow relationships, it is all that we do to earn wealth and security, it is everything that we do to to create meaning and value in our lives. That's our toil. And he says, what gain do we have? What profit is there in all of that, all that we live under the sun? Now, that's another expression we're going to see often. He says that 29 times, life under the sun. And it helps bring perspective to what the preacher writes in Ecclesiastes. It's a temporal term. It's not one of location. You'd think, oh, life under the sun, he means on the earth, but it's more about time. In fact, in the Bible, the sun and the moon are often used to indicate the passage of time. So by saying under the sun, the preacher is effectively saying now or present in this moment as we live. It is the life we currently live in existence on this earth. 
the worldly realities in which we deal with day in and day out. And so the question that he is asking then is, do we gain anything by life in this present world? And the expected answer to that rhetorical question is jarring because it's no, not really. You gain nothing under the sun from all that you do. And that's like a punch in the face. It hits you hard. It, it, it wounds you. And you say to Solomon, to the preacher, well, how can you say that? What do you mean that in this life, all the things we do under the sun, we gain nothing? I mean, are you saying that life is truly senseless and meaningless? What is going on? Now, the preacher gives us a little poem in verses 4 through 7 to explain what he means by all this absurdity and senselessness that he's speaking of. And he's going to use nature to make a point. Begins in verse 4. He says, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Now note the word order there, because it's important. We would expect him to say, A generation comes and a generation goes. That's kind of how we express this idea. Things come and things go. But he doesn't do that. If he did, he'd be really emphasizing the brevity of life, which, which is something that we understand to be true. But that's not where he's going with this. Instead, he says a generation goes and a generation comes. He reverses the order. And he does that to stretch, stress that one generation is always replacing another generation. It's an ongoing thing that is happening. And the point is to illustrate that there is no permanent gain in this life. When one generation passes, another takes their place. We strive for value and for meaning for something that is permanent, which will outlive us, but ultimately it never does. It never lasts. So the preacher says, consider nature. Consider the sun and the wind and the sea. In verse 5, he says, the sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. It rises and it sets. And the picture being painted here is one of the sun struggling through its routine day in and day out. Day in and day out. It gets up in the morning and it goes to bed at night and nothing changes because nothing is gained. It doesn't go anywhere new. But it's on this tiresome, repetitive cycle. The same is true of the wind. Verse 6, the wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. Again, you see the emphasis on repetition. And nothing being gained from it. There's no eternal or lasting purpose. It's just going through this cycle. Blowing in an ongoing circuit. Storms come and storms go. There's no profit. Likewise, the preacher says, consider the sea. He says, all streams or rivers run to the sea, but the sea is not full. The place where the streams flow, there they flow again. Rivers run to lakes and seas, but those lakes and seas never fill up. 
And of course, we know the science behind the water cycle. But the point here that he is trying to make again is there's this repetitive toil that is going on and on and on and nothing is gained. Nothing is new. There is no profit in it. The seas are never satisfied. They are never filled up. There is always room for something more, for more water. And so goes the cycle of water. It's like this endless song in your Spotify playlist stuck on repeat. And you just hear it again and again and again. Nothing changes. And so he says, that is vanity. That is pointless. It doesn't make sense. And yet we as humans, we want to change that. We want to change the way the world works. We, we don't want things to be this pointless, endless cycle. We want them to mean something, to gain something, to be a prophet, so that they are not futile, they are not senseless. But the ironic thing is, what the preacher says next, is that when we try to do that, we find ourselves becoming restless, and unsatisfied with life until the day we die. Not only is life under the sun a senseless absurdity, says the preacher, that fails to gain anything, but as people, we are utterly exhausted and unsatisfied by it. And so he writes in verse 8, all things, everything, are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. All things are full of weariness. Life is exhausting. Everything we do ultimately wears us down, and it causes us to be restless. And what is restlessness? But another way of saying dissatisfaction, a a lack of fulfillment. But again, it's not that we don't try to find some comfort or some rest or some sense of fulfillment in our lives under the sun. In fact, as humans, that's what we do. We we create, we make, we build, we write and compose and craft, we start families, we pursue careers, and we build relationships. We buy things, not just the things that we need, but the things that we also enjoy. Houses and cars and clothing and food and drink and entertainment. And we give much effort often in trying to be good people, good neighbors caring for others. We, we volunteer time and money and skills and abilities to cause after cause. And we concern ourselves with one issue after another. And as humans, we try to solve all of the problems of the world and all the evil that we see around us. We make policies and we form governments. We build kingdoms, nations, and empires. We write law after law after law and code after code in an effort to bring some moral clarity or moral judgment and better order society. And we educate ourselves. We, we learn and we teach. We read and we write. We try to understand this world, this universe, and why it functions the way it does. And we've done this from the very beginning of history. This is our life under the sun. We've been doing it a long time. 
But despite thousands of years of history, humanity still feels very unfulfilled and unsatisfied and weary and restless because it all seems so pointless. The more we try to change things, the more they don't seem to change. They stay the same. As the preacher says, a man cannot utter. He means that we say the same words again and again and we can't utter anything that makes sense out of what we're seeing in this world. He says that same regarding our eyes and ears. They are never satisfied. We look and we listen and we try to learn. We try to observe and answer the questions that we have. But they only lead to more questions. Every bit of learning leads to the fact that we really haven't learned everything we need to learn. We haven't figured it all out. And so like the cycles of the earth, sun, wind, and water, our knowledge is on this repetitive cycle that is never fulfilled or satisfied. It's like we're wandering in circles in a desert trying to find shade, rest, and water, and we never find it. Now, a person might say to the preacher, well, surely the world has changed somewhat. I mean, there's new discoveries, new things. I mean, look how we have gone. Look at the technology we have now. And the wise preacher anticipates this. He says in verses 9 through 11, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things where there will be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. And the point of all that is to say, yeah, you might think there are things new, but there really is nothing new under the sun. What has been done has been done in the past. Revolutions come and go, wars end and new ones begin. A new government is still a government. A new policy is still a policy. A new relationship is still a relationship. A new baby is still a baby, and babies have been born since ancient times. Now, we may make new ways of doing things, but we're still doing the old things. Nothing has changed. I mean, consider communication. Of course, we used to communicate on stone tablets and then we moved to paper and pen and now to digital forms of communication. But we're still doing the same thing. We're still trying to communicate. It's not new. Or transportation. We might walk somewhere. We might ride a horse or a cart or a wagon. And we will invent faster and more efficient means of travel to cars, to, to planes. But we're still doing the same thing. We're still traveling, still trying to get from one place to another. Nothing has changed. Again, everything under the sun is repetitious. We do the same things again and again. And because of that, nothing seems to really matter. It all seems like vanity, all senseless, all meaningless. 
And this becomes very evident, especially when we try to stop the evil, the immorality that we see in this world. And after thousands and thousands of years of human history and people trying to make life better, we are no better. We still kill each other. We still hate each other. We still fail to understand one another. And sin is still there. And the world turns, and along with it, all of its evil. And so we saw those words in verse 11. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. Our memories are short. We forget our own history. Which is why we try the same ideas, just with new words, to make ourselves better, only to find that ultimately they'll disappoint us and fail us yet again. And that is absurdity. It is vanity. It is senseless, says the preacher. I mean, consider the fact that every time tragic news breaks, like we saw this last week, and another act of evil is committed, we hear the same tired replies and responses from our political leaders on either side of the aisle of every stripe, right and left, they give us the same lines, the same ideas, the same response. And no matter how we as people, as humanity, try to answer these kinds of problems to stop them from happening, no matter what things we put in place, they still happen. Because that's life under the sun. And we often hear the phrase, we must never let this happen again. And we appreciate the sentiment, but the reality is these things have been done before. And as much as we try to change them, they will be done again. And it is that reality that makes us so weary and so tired and so restless and so unsatisfied with life under the sun. And so you come to that question then that the preacher asks, what does man gain by all his toil that he toils under the sun? Nothing. It's pointless. It's absurd. And the world sometimes recognizes that. They begin to understand that. For example, you can go to the song Time by Pink Floyd and there's a line in there that sounds a lot like Ecclesiastes where it says, and you run and you run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking, racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way, but you're older, shorter of breath and a day closer to death. So life under the sun has no meaning according to the preacher. And trying to change that is pointless. And it leads us to being unsatisfied. Now we hear that, and we read that, those first 11 verses, and we say, okay, well, preacher Solomon, we, we get it. You must be talking from the perspective of someone who is pagan, someone who doesn't know the Lord, an unbeliever. Uh, this surely must be a nihilistic postmodern rant from some depressed, godless atheist. But it's not. 
Because the preacher, Solomon, he does know God. He does understand that there is a God in heaven who governs the affairs of his creation. And yet he still says life under the sun is vanity. He is still weary and restless and unsatisfied. You see, being a child of God, being a Christian, doesn't change the fact that life in this world is stuck on this repetitive, seemingly senseless cycle. Being a Christian doesn't mean that we somehow are not wearied by all the things that are happening in our lives and what we see in this world under the sun. We are. We are restless. But that restlessness is a good thing. Because it is that very restlessness that drives us to look to the one who really does give us rest. And it's not found under the sun. It's found above the sun. You see, it is God who gives us something new. We won't find it in this world, but we will find it in Him. So back in verse 8, when the preacher says, all things are full of weariness, and he says the reason for this is because there is nothing new under the sun. But God is above the sun. He can do, and He does do, something new. In fact, He gives us His own Son. Jesus said in John 8.23, You are from below. You're from under the sun. But I am from above. You are of this world, but I am not of this world. And yet He who was not of this world came down to this world to give us something new. Himself. Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant says the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 9, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred, that being Jesus, that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. And this new covenant is what restores us back into right relationship with God so that we no longer live this life under the sun seeing it as absolutely vain because we can find our purpose and meaning in something better, in something new. And we can experience life with God and enjoy Him as we were created to do. Jesus also gives us new life. Romans 6.4 We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. And He also gives us a new heart. Ezekiel 36.26 God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and, uh, and give you a heart of flesh. This is all because we also receive new mercy each and every day. As we read in Lamentations 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So Jesus who came, died, buried, rose again, and is now ascended to the right hand of the Father, 
There he sits and declares, as we read in Revelation 21, 5, Behold, I am making all things new. Life under the sun is pointless. It's vanity. It's full of absurdity on this repeat cycle. And the more and more we try to change it, the more and more restless and weary we become because we're trying to do something we cannot do, that we could never do. Because it is our own sinfulness, our own fallenness as humans who have broken God's law that makes life under the sun so meaningless and pointless and absurd. That's the curse of our sin upon this world. And what that means then is we need to stop trying to make what is meaningless in this life meaningful and instead look to the only one who gives us real meaning. We can't change life under the sun. It's an absurdity to try to do so. We can't stop the repeat cycle of the sun and the wind, let alone the cycle of futility of our own efforts to change life in this world. All of our efforts will only lead us to more frustration and more weariness, leaving us so dissatisfied and unfulfilled. But God can change it, and He does change it, And He is changing it. He has something better. And that better is Jesus Christ, the Son. He has something new. It is a new life that He gives to us in Christ through the Gospel. You see, the preacher, as he opens the book of Ecclesiastes, he wants us to feel unsatisfied. He wants us to feel the pointlessness of life under the sun. He wants us to nod our heads in sorrowful agreement that all is vanity, vanity of vanities. Because when we do, we can begin to look to the newness that God extends to those who come to Him in faith and repentance. We can know the newness of His gospel of grace and mercy. See, when we do accept the reality that all that we strive for in this life is absurd, then we can begin to see that we really were made to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So let us then stop. Stop trying to make the meaninglessness of life under the sun meaningful and instead find that true meaning in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let us pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word and just the reality that it, that it lays out for us so honestly and openly. Father, we certainly feel the restlessness, the weariness, the dissatisfaction of living under the sun. But you and your mercy have given us something better. You have given us new life in Christ, a life above the sun. And may we continue to look to that truth. And in looking to that, find peace and hope to go about our lives, not in discouragement, but in joy. Because we know there is something more 
than what we simply see under the sun. There is a God in heaven who is you, who loves us with all mercy and truth. And so, Father, help us then to glorify you in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.